0: Fragrant gardens and delicate statuary provided small meditation areas along the front of the main building. A winding dirt path behind the carriage house led to a wooded trail where blue jays, sparrows, robins, and hummingbirds kept up a continual chorus of song, even during the winter months. Around the back, through a trellised archway, was a large yard and more gardens, leading to the commanding bluff and a magnificent stand of stately evergreens partially obscuring the incredible view. The centerpiece of the yard was a tall, slender black cross which rose from a cluster of carefully tended greenery and was starkly silhouetted against the sky. Directly below the top of the bluff was a seldom-used tennis court built by the original owners, and a swimming pool, also rarely used. The swimming pool had been built in the late 60s for a television version of the movie Diabolique, retitled Reflections on a Murder. It had starred Joan Hackett and Sam Waterston. The exterior of Rosary Heights had been rented so it could represent a boys' school where a murder had occurred. A crucial scene involved a swimming pool, so the producers had one installed. After the filming, they donated it to the Dominican sisters. In the following decades, both the pool and the tennis court fell into disrepair. The sisters couldn't afford the upkeep on either, and many of them were embarrassed by the opulent lifestyle these luxurious accessories represented. They preferred to have nothing to do with them. In itself, property meant little to the sisters. Their vow of poverty precluded attachments to land or possessions, but it was impossible to remain detached from the natural beauty surrounding them. An emotional connection to Rosary Heights was nearly irresistible. There was only one way to describe it. God was in this land. Although Rosary Heights had once been the estate of a rich man, any scent of wealth had been scrubbed from the floors and walls by hundreds of postulants and novices over the years. They had swept and polished in silence their humble work a form of meditation. Many a sister had sat praying fervently on one of the benches placed near the edge of the bluff, inspired by the faraway peaks of the majestic Olympic Mountains, or walked along the shaded paths where one could almost feel a divine presence rustling through the swaying trees. For most young postulants, Rosary Heights represented their first experience of the contemplative life, the state of being. No words to lead them, no actions to define their purpose, just stillness and silence, simple, open living in the presence of the Almighty. But Rosary Heights was just a piece of land, a space. Spiritual transcendence required more than a space. True inspiration real devotion to the sacred vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience had to come from within. Only the heart was capable of remaining steady in its faith and devotion to God. The land was temporal. Still, the existence of an established mother house was comforting to those who remembered the itinerancy of the Order's beginnings in the Pacific Northwest. In those early years, the sisters had been housed in rickety buildings atop odorous, flooding tidal flats in Aberdeen, Washington. They had been forced to build makeshift novitiate dormitories and empty schoolrooms. Later, they had crammed into tight quarters in Seattle and Everett. At last, with the purchase of Rosary Heights, there was a real motherhouse, a place where one could go to begin a spiritual search or to follow a call." Even the women who had left the Order over the years returned to Rosary Heights on occasion. They were drawn by the powerful pull of the sacred, nostalgia for their younger years, and something else. They were always welcomed by their sisters. It would perpetually remain their home, a place where they belonged. Sister Helen was the de facto mother prioress of the Order, although in these modern times she was called the President. She served as the head of the leadership team. Along with three other sisters, Sister Helen was responsible for the Order's ministry, its common life, and the treasury. Helen was mindful of her place in the shifting continuum of religious history, but she had few of the guideposts of the Order's former prioresses. Real prioresses, she sometimes called them, whose decisions were supported by the rigid edicts of a centuries-old rule and the iron mantle of their authority. That had all given way to the modern religious order— not just for these Dominican sisters, but for most of the Catholic religious orders in the United States. Portraits of the prioresses, stern, wise, strong women who had devoted their lives to establishing the order on the West Coast, kept a framed vigil on the walls of the Mother House. Among them was Mother Galelma, the beloved...